0: Hello everybody and welcome to Take the Stage Opera Podcast. We have discussed that artists could theoretically be free financially and not have to worry about income from their art. But today we are interviewing someone who is proof that this is not just a theory and that there are concrete steps that people can take to ensure this type of freedom. So if you thought it sounded nice when we've talked about it in the past, but you need more proof, wait no longer.
1: Is everyone saying no to your singing career?
0: Well, we here at Take the Stage Opera Podcast say toy, toy, toy.
1: Find out what is holding you back so you can stop waiting in the wings and go out and get your standing ovation.
0: There are no forbidden topics here, so get your ticket and find your
1: seat. In Boca Lupo.
0: Happy holidays to everyone out there. No matter what your celebrations look like this year, we hope that this episode finds you happy, healthy, and well. Uh, We hope that you found ways to celebrate with those you love. Um, My name is Mariah, and I'm here with my co-host, Evan. How are you doing?
1: I'm doing great. And just like you said, you know, holidays are a little bit different, but I'm trying to find ways to just enjoy it.
0: Yeah, I know you've told me that you had to make a conscious decision to enjoy it this year.
1: Well, yeah, because once you become an adult, and it, it just doesn't feel the same. It's like been this process of learning to mm. just enjoy things rather than worrying so much all yeah. the
0: time. <laughs> yeah, I get that. Well, and it you have kids, though. So I feel like that's a little bit more magical.
1: Yeah, they, no, yeah, they no, they definitely bring back the magic. Like decorating the house actually is like exciting for them and Aww. like my little 3-year-old boy, um he saw a mini Christmas tree and he was jumping up and down for about 5 <laughs> minutes in like pure <laughs> ecstasy. That's so cute. <laughs> you know, so it yeah, it is fun.
0: Well, good. Uh, so I mentioned that we have a guest today. Steven Cerf is an actor, singer, and is best known for his Broadway debut of Jersey Boys. He also performed in a national tour of Jersey Bo- Boys and co-starred in the NBC series The Blacklist. And we discovered him because we originally wanted to call this podcast The Not-So-Starving Artists, and we found that he had already written a book with the title The Not-So-Starving Artist. So Stephen, welcome.
1: Hi, guys. Thanks for having me. Of yeah. Course.
0: We're so glad you're here.
1: <laughs> so, Stephen, I read your book, and um, you, I'm excited for you to talk about your journey and your story, but maybe before we get there, could you tell us um, how it's been for you as an artist during COVID?
2: Sure. Um, so, you know, I I was actually performing uh, for Disney on one of their cruise ships when COVID hit. Oh, shoot! Ooh. Did you
0: get quarantined I- on the cruise ship?
2: I, you know, I didn't, I, (laughs) I actually can't think of a better place to have been when all of this started. Really? Uh, Yeah. So we, uh, they created a couple of years ago, they created a special contract for people who've been on Broadway. Um, It's called Mm -hmm. the Broadway guest artist Mm -hmm. contract and they pay you Broadway minimum salary and you come on that boat and you perform so I was hired to play Gaston in Beauty and the Beast. Oh my gosh! <laughs> nice. And then I rotated as the lead of another one of their sort of review shows. Sure. Uh, and a, and a fun fact: my other Broadway guest artist, he played Maurice in Beauty and the Beast. Oh, fun! And then, and then we rotated as uh the lead. He was the original Chris in Miss Saigon. Oh my goodness! Tony wow. nominee.
0: Wow. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> wow, that is crazy. Yeah.
2: Yeah, it was, yeah, it was, it was nuts. So, so yeah, that's where I was. And to be completely honest, we, we started cruises. Uh, COVID got really bad. They canceled the cruises, but they had all of us on the ship still. So I got paid to eat good <sighs> food and go to the gym and not do any work.
0: <laughs> nice. <clears throat> so, that's a dream.
2: You know, honestly, it was funny because I was posting all these pictures from like the beach. and My friends were like, where, where are you? What are you doing? <laughs> um, so that's where I was. I had another show that was starting in New York. Uh, it's a Broadway-bound show. It's called The Wanderer. Okay. Uh, very Jersey Boys. Same. It's a jukebox musical of the singer Dion, who wrote The Wanderer and mm. Runaround Sue. Uh, sort of those oldies. So we were supposed to do the world premiere at the Paper Mill Playhouse in New Jersey in, in the spring of 2020. Obviously, that didn't happen. They've, they postponed us to spring of next year and then very oh, recently postponed us until maybe fall of next year oh. or spring <laughs> of 2022. Yeah. yeah,
0: right, right. Well, I'm glad it's just postponed. Uh,
2: me too, and, and we, we know that the money and the right people are there to actually take it to Broadway. Mm-hmm. And so the fact that they just keep postponing is a good sign that they yeah. really want to take us to Broadway. So, so yeah, but COVID hit and now live theater doesn't, isn't happening right now. Exactly. So, so, you know, for me, it's been, it was, it was in the beginning, it was nice because I thank God have worked nonstop for the last 10 years. And yeah. last year was the first time I was able to go home for Christmas in like six years. Wow. So it, it was, it was nice for me to have some time off to not have, to not be tied to every day at five thirty getting on a train, going into Midtown right. and doing a show. So that that's been a blessing. Look, I think for all of us, it'd be nice to mm-hmm. have the option to step on stage. Mm-hmm. Sure. But Um, No, it's been good. I've been, I, I did some more renovations on my townhouse. Um, I finished getting my real estate license because I didn't want to pay commission on the stuff I was buying and selling in the city anymore. Mm -hmm. But, but once they postponed the wanderer again, I joined a real estate company to to sort of do that in the interim. Give me something to do. Yes, Uh, Yeah. So, yeah. So it, And I'm not, and I'm I'm pretty, I'm pretty much an old man, and have been since I was like (laughs) eighteen. So, so I I don't go, I don't go to bars. I don't, Mm
0: -hmm. you know, I'm
2: I'm a homebody, and I like, you know, I got back to the city in May, and I was like, is the Home Depot open? If the Home Depot's open, then I'm we're good. So, yeah, (laughs) yeah, yeah. So COVID, COVID's been, you know, it's annoying that we can't perform, but I've been I've been okay.
0: Yeah. Awesome. Well, we would love to hear a little bit more about your financial journey. So how did you first learn about finances and how did you realize that it would be possible to have enough investments that you could act without worrying about income as an artist?
2: Absolutely. So it it started back, my, my financial journey started with my dad and my older brother. My dad growing up would... Play a game with us where he would say, pick any sort of company, you know, McDonald's, Disney, whatever, and we will invest. Everybody gets, it it was all pretend, Mm -hmm. but everybody, everybody gets $500 and you can pick whatever companies you want and we will pretend to buy stock in those companies and then we'll track them and see who, who does the best. So that was, that was something that we did when I was a kid. I mean, kind of bonkers, right? Kind of a yeah, weird thing. That's but great
0: though. But my
2: dad, yeah. Works. Yeah, my dad instilled the idea of investing early on. I still didn't have any sort of grasp of the stock market, obviously, back then. But at least it was something that I knew existed, where I think right. a lot of people don't have any frame of reference.
0: Right.
2: Uh, and, and also, too, my parents really instilled saving. As well so even from our allowance that we got growing up I had to tithe 10% to the church and I had to save 10% so that
1: nice. that instilled
2: a very early form of budgeting and saving sure. um, and being responsible with money so it wasn't until it wasn't until I booked Jersey Boys on tour back in 2011 because I've, I've always been a good saver I'd always saved my money and was pretty frugal and but it wasn't until i booked jersey boys and went and went from making sort of nothing because i had just well that, that's not true that wasn't the first tour i booked but it was the first big money i was right. making um you know making six figures as a performing artist and all of a sudden it and i had no expenses as well so mm. i all of I, I all of a sudden had all this money. And very quickly, the idea of just saving all of it wasn't quite adding up. I, I, could, <laughs> I could save all of it and have this massive nest egg, but at some point, the show will close or I will want to leave and go do something else. And then am I just going to eat that savings until <laughs> the next job? And then it, it would just sort of become this never-ending cycle
0: Mm, right
2: and and so I started to to think about okay I have all this money sitting in the bank what can I do it you know you make at the time I was making you know half a percent of interest in the bank
0: mm-hmm. sure um,
2: <laughs> so I so so that's when the wheel started turning of how can I take all of this money that's just sitting there not doing anything and how can I invest it into something that has the potential mm-hmm. to to make me money every month. Yeah. And supplement my living expenses or hopefully at some point completely eclipse them and allow me to solely focus on performing. And so that was so that was Jersey Boys that was when I bought my first rental property and sort of started to understand the power of investing um the money we make as artists.
1: So what um you your kind of preferred investment method is real estate. Mm-hmm. Do you have any tips yeah. for anyone who might be interested in um beginning in real estate investing?
2: Absolutely. So I think I think the biggest thing I come across when I talk to people about this, it seems so scary to people. <laughs> I think we're raised to believe you know buying a home is like this pinnacle of of things and and you know yeah. this is, the, this, is the, this is your biggest asset and the most you know expensive thing you probably ever buy and it it kind of gets this stigma of being scary and sometimes unattainable for people and even when I started it 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 still was it was still so I was scared to get a mortgage because what if what if i 'm not working and now I have to pay this mortgage and my mm-hmm. living you know the idea of leveraging the bank's money to make me money, it, it, it was also scary and I didn't know enough about it. But as you learn more about it, it, it becomes way less scary and it becomes way more attainable for people. Um, and, and so that's, that's sort of my, my advice. I also usually advise people to invest wherever they're from. Hmm. So many people in New York grew up in Idaho or Colorado or Florida and the bar for entry pretty much everywhere outside of New York is much lower. <laughs> so buying in New York is is kind of crazy town and the process here is is just really intense. But that was uh, the first place I bought was in Denver. My family was still there. If I needed someone to check in on it, they could help me out and it was a one bedroom one bathroom loft apartment in downtown Denver. So not a crazy amount of space or upkeep or anything like that, but it allowed me to enter the real estate game at a much lower level than it would have, if I would, if I would have just tried to
1: buy something in New York. Yeah. So you're saying if you start small, you know, anyone can learn. It's a skill that people can learn. Absolutely. And that's, and you're exactly
2: right. Start small. You don't have to, you don't have to try and do the most right off the bat my i have a business partner in my general contracting company she's from Alabama you can buy a house in Alabama for $30,000 right so we're so we're not you don't have to start with half a million dollar apartment buildings or you know 2 million dollar multifamily properties start small buy buy a house in your hometown and rent it out and even if you're just paying the mortgage Mm-hmm. you're still making money because the house will appreciate and somebody sure. else is paying your mortgage and taxes and insurance. So even if you're not seeing a big return initially, over as they pay down that mortgage, you can refinance and then you will see a monthly return. So mm-hmm. there there's ways to start small. That's that, that's a great way to look at it.
0: Nice.
1: So um, this is a little bit of a personal Question for myself: Do you have strong feelings about investing in real estate versus being a landlord? So,
2: for me, it's kind of the same thing. So i I don't just put money into properties that I don't own myself, right? Um, So, like, I have I have rental just single family homes in Colorado um, some, some like apartments in Colorado and then my townhouse here. So I'm, I'm, I like being a landlord. There's, there's stuff that comes with it. There's stress sometimes there's, Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. you know, hard conversations, but I, that's part of the reason why I like real estate is because it's tangible because I can,
1: because I can be hands on with it. Mm -hmm. Is that, does that answer your question or, or, Right. And it seems that you like, you know, you're a general contractor. You like designing, you like, you know, working with your hands in the apartments.
2: Yeah. And the the general contracting thing was born out of the first place I bought in New York. It was a one bedroom apartment in Hell's Kitchen. I bought it. It didn't have a kitchen. It didn't really have cohesive flooring throughout the apartment. Um, But I got it for for. Cheap, and that was why. And my plan was to come in, fix it up, and then sooner than later sell it. So, and that's exactly what happened. And it it produced a really solid profit after two years because I came in, I did the work myself, and flipped it for a, a really nice profit. And that's what I'll be doing with this townhouse as well.
1: Okay. Awesome.
2: So, so that's another great way to to invest if you're somebody who is handy and can Mm -hmm. do renovations. Get yourself a fixer-upper, do the renovations, and then sell it for a massive profit.
0: Nice. Stephen, if you could go back, would you do anything differently in the past 10, 15 years?
2: Absolutely. Uh, That first rental property I bought, I paid cash for because I was nervous about getting a mortgage. Right. Mm. Right. If I could go back in time, I would have... Absolutely, gotten a mortgage, and that would have freed up all of that capital. So instead of putting, I'm, I'm really open with numbers, so I'll just we'll just get it out there. So I I paid one hundred and sixty-one thousand dollars for a one bedroom apartment in downtown Denver, but all of that money is tied up in that property exactly. And I was I was making a decent monthly return from day one. I was making about seven hundred dollars a month in profit, but. I, I could have taken that $161,000 and I probably could have bought three properties with yeah. that money right. if I would have gotten a mortgage. So, and, and that property then was 1031 exchanged, which is a way to defer paying capital gains tax, um, into a two-bed, two-bath in the same building. And, and that property is worth about $400,000 now Oh nice. But that money is just tied up in that property. So if I would have taken a mortgage out, I would have been able to increase my portfolio quicker way sooner. Yeah. Back, back then. And that was, I bought,
1: I, I bought that first place in 2012. Wow. That is so crazy.
0: Yeah, that is crazy.
1: <laughs> um, one more question about your investing so far. Sure. Well, who knows? Maybe we have more. <laughs> Um do you have a least favorite part of real estate investing? It seems like you have a lot of things that you love about it
2: mm-hmm. um, uh, I think initially there can be a lot of stress when it comes to managing your own real estate and dealing with issues that might arise um, and I say initially because you know when you 're sort of a one man band and you just have one property. it can be stressful because you 're the only person seeing those expenses mm-hmm. there 's no there 's not five more properties to sort of cushion it mm-hmm. so I will say I will say there have been times that have that i 've been pretty stressed in the real estate um, but as you go and as you increase your portfolio, the stress gets lower because if you have seven properties and one property has a couple of repairs, you still have six properties that are bringing yeah. you money that month. So, and this is something that in the last like couple of years, I've really, it's, it's really been great because the stress of, Oh my gosh, I have two houses and in one of the house, you know, one of the houses is has all of these repairs and I'm, you know, well, now, now that the portfolio's gotten so big, it's like, no, nah, it, that's fine. That's going to happen. But I'm still going to have six other properties. And next month, if one of those is having a problem, odds are if the other ones will be okay. And so you get to the end of the year and you go, oh, yeah, we still made a lot of money this year, even though we did have stuff happen and, and it's okay.
1: Right. And, you know, another amazing thing about real estate is that even if there are economic hard times, people need a place to live. Hmm. Mm-hmm. you know i mean not that the market is always great you know maybe there could everyone could leave new york city mm-hmm. <laughs> but yeah i mean tell us about your experience with covid and that how it- well so so it's so it's interesting
2: right now we're seeing you know this this spring we saw a lot of people leave the city mm-hmm. um we saw a lot of a lot of wealthy people left and went to their homes in the Hamptons or houses elsewhere. Uh, So on the buy sell side, it's still a buyer's market. We're seeing things happen that wouldn't normally happen in New York concessions being given. Um, But the buy sell market in New York is still not, we haven't seen it go crazy. We haven't seen massive dips. Um, my My business partner in the contracting company is a real estate broker she 's having the best year she 's ever had this year right mm-hmm. so there's still stuff moving on the rent side this spring, we saw a mass exodus uh, this summer when summer is usually the busiest time in New York. Um, summer was really tough. I had to find a sublet for some of my tenants out here my the guy who rents the apartment upstairs is the associate music director of Mrs. Doubtfire on Broadway. And the show got shut down. He had to leave. And finding people in summer was crazy. It was so difficult. Hmm. But now we're seeing a lot of people who are upgrading their living situation. So people who normally couldn't afford a two-bedroom apartment in the city with outdoor space can. And so we're seeing a lot of New Yorkers sort of upgrade to situations that they normally couldn't afford. So yeah, it's New York. I love New York because it's, it's still insulated against most things. Um, When we come through this, it's still going to be New York city. People are still going to flock here and look, it might take a couple of years, but it's New York city. And there's a reason it's New York city. So, um, you know, and, and that's, I've, I've always, you know, it's, it's sort of a deeper thing, but even in the housing crisis of 2008, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. New York City, the way New York City set up, 75% of the housing stock are co-op apartments. Sure. And, and the high level of vetting that happens to be able to buy a co-op apartment yeah. kept New York City out of the housing crisis because mm. there weren't a lot of foreclosures happening because the co-ops vet people better than the banks right. were vetting them. So, that kind of saved New York. And wow, I didn't yeah. know that. Yeah, yeah, didn't know that
0: either. That's crazy. Yeah,
2: it's yeah, it's New York. New York City real estate is unlike. I mean, it's <laughs> when I bought my first thing here, I was like, "Wait, what? We, this is what this is how this works?" But
1: <laughs>
0: yeah, awesome. Yeah.
1: Well, Stephen, um, many of our guests are opera singers, and probably most of our listeners. <laughs> Yeah. yeah. A lot of them, I'm
0: sure.
1: um, but we as opera singers, we relate a lot to you as musical theater actors because we do oh. musical theater as well. And we love it. Um, and one of the questions that we ask a lot of our guests, um, we thought it would be fun to ask you as well. So throughout your career and throughout our careers, certainly people always tell us what we've got to do, what we've got to be how we've got to change everything that's wrong with us. And we wondered if there's something that you have consistently been told is a weakness, something you're supposed to overcome and how you've dealt with that. If you, if you have overcome it, or if you have decided it's not that important to you, let's talk about art now for a little bit. Sure. I think,
2: I think one of my strong suits is being able to understand the business and understand mm. where I fit in the business. Oh, sure. Um, I, I'm a, I'm a baritone. I can, I can hit some of those bass notes and that's, those are kind of party tricks at this point in musical <laughs> theater. Uh, sure. Uh, so, so early on, I think, cause I came out of school and I could dance and I, I went to the gym sometimes too much. Uh, but i presented something that i think a lot of people hadn't didn't didn't see very often they didn't see a guy who looked like a man who could dance <laughs> and so very quickly that sort of became my way in oh interesting and but it also made casting directors and directors i think have a specific idea of who i was and what mm. i did so and and then I think oftentimes they wanted me to be sort of that specific thing. Sure. And I was I was never going to be the young ingenue. I just wasn't. I, <laughs> yeah. I don't, that's not the sound that comes out of my mouth when I, I sing or speak. Yeah. And so, but I think I also understood that I would continue to work and get to play the roles I wanted to play as I got older. So it's it's been a lot of it's been a lot of sort of i think redirecting maybe casting directors to what i actually do really well um but i never i i think i was lucky that i never had anybody sort of come down hard on me um and i also i also came to this later i came to this sort of my senior year of high school mm. and and went to school and had no training so i think i was more of a blank canvas to sort of, you know, figure out who I was and how I fit into the industry and had, and and, I, and again, I think people were just kind of like, I, I think I was a little bit different than what they were used to seeing, And I think that helped me in maybe avoiding some serious criticism. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, that's awesome. Well, we have just two fun questions for you. So, um, do you have a dream role that you'd like to play?
2: I do. I I love to play villains. Oh yes. yeah. mm-hmm. Well, guest on. So, yeah, well, yeah. Um, that that was that was definitely on the on the list of dream roles. I've um, also played the beast. So, I've I've gotten to see both both sides of that. Um, I I would have to say Sweeney and Sweeney mm. Todd. That's yes. definitely that's definitely on there, and then probably if I can pick another one,
1: Javert. And like, yeah, oh, yeah, yeah. This is like yeah. our baritone week. It is. We've <laughs> several <Yeah>. baritones on. <laughs> yeah, this awesome. is so funny. Yeah, it's awesome. Yeah.
0: Okay, and then do you have a book that you would recommend us reading?
2: I do. Well, obviously, obviously, my book. Yeah, of course. But the book that I recommend to everyone I have ever seen spoken to met in my life it's called rich dad poor dad yeah oh yeah and that's that book that book that book puts in into perspective the way we should think about money and Mm. it goes against conventional wisdom and the systems that we have in place in this country to make us think about money Mm -hmm. yeah rich dad poor dad really I think unlocks the potential of building assets and it unlocks the potential of, of sort of, you know, this, this goal that we all, you know, say we aspire to, to retire when we're, you know, mm-hmm. 65. Well, why does it, why does it have to be this system of go to school, go to college, get a job? work till you're 65 and then then you get to do whatever you want
0: <laughs> right. when you're not, already
2: old <laughs> exactly why not build why not build this portfolio of assets that pays for everything and makes you money so that when you're young you can do whatever you want that's and rich dad poor dad simplifies it He makes it very simple and it's a awesome. quick read it's a really quick read
1: so
0: you've read that right i have yeah, but, yeah. in fact
1: it was the first you know financial book that i read mm. yeah found it yeah. at a used bookstore my wife was like you we've got to read that one i was like fine whatever <laughs> yeah she was like i want you to be rich dad yeah <laughs> for sure well thank you yeah. so much for joining with us today steven as course. an artist i you know i'm working diligently so that i can achieve what you have done and i'm so grateful you would take the time to visit with us share your experiences i think this will be inspiring for our listeners it certainly has been for me yeah. so
2: Great. Absolutely. Thanks. Thanks for having me. And, and, and that's what I always tell everybody. Like, look, I'm not, I'm, I'm not a genius. I'm not, I'm not reinventing the wheel. I just, you make a plan, you stick to it. Yeah. I was lucky to have really high paying jobs when I was young with no expenses. Mm-hmm. And if, and if you make a pretty strict plan and you stick to it, you can do this too. And it, you can do it. And when we have a global pandemic, you can wake up every day and do what you want and not have to worry about yeah, for Broadway existing yeah
1: wow
0: <laughs> that is really awesome <laughs> So to all of our listeners out there, stop waiting for someone else to take control of your finances. You are creative and even if you don't feel like you have an abundant amount of financial resources, you have an abundance of unique and powerful skills that make you you and make you capable of financial freedom if that is what you choose. So stop waiting in the wings, take the stage and keep singing. In Boca Lupo.
1: Thank you for listening to another episode of Take the Stage Opera podcast.
0: We love hearing from you, so please take a moment to subscribe to our podcast and give us a review. It helps us to continue delivering quality material.